0: And so, you, you know, if you look at what you do in a residency, you know, if you have three years, it's going to be hard every year to do a major publication on a research project while seeing clinical. So, so low-hanging fruit are case reports, and these are easy ways of getting PubMed numbers. It also is a good way of giving everyone a first good experience. So if you give uh, an intern or a, uh, or a student or a resident a project, and they write it up and they finish, and it gets dinged and it gets denied. It, it, it hurts uh, it, you don't want to do this anymore why would i put that much work but if you give them a case report that takes two or three weeks to, wear, uh, to write up and then it gets successfully published holy cow their ego goes up and they say i can do this again so then you can move them forward into maybe a little bit more difficult uh, project maybe a, a clinical study you know a, a, a retrospective study and then maybe a little later a, a prospective study so if, if you get to that but again it gives them that encouragement Uh, rather than uh, the deflation.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Medical Creative. My name is Austin Sellers, and in this episode I get to speak with Dr. Robert Hostoffer. He's a board-certified allergy immunologist, currently a clinical assistant professor in pediatrics at Case Western Reserve, and is also the program director of the University Hospital's Allergy Immunology Fellowship. He's a nationally recognized expert in immunodeficiency disorders, serves as a regional consultant for the Primary Immunodeficiency Foundation. He also is one of the creators of something called the Scholar Series. It's a set of tools which aims to provide a format and framework for junior faculty and students to produce scholarly work. If you have any interest in research but aren't quite sure how to get started, this is the episode for you. Uh, We get to discussing about his passions for research, how that came about, the mindset that he has, both when mentoring students and residents into a career in research, And also how he views his practice and the research opportunities within it. I'm very thankful for Dr. Hostoffer for taking some time to speak with me. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. I had a great time talking to him. and think that this information is super valuable for anyone wanting to pursue any sort of research career. Here's Dr. Hostoffer. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Medical Creative Podcast. My name is Austin Sellers and with me is Dr. Robert Hostoffer, Um, who's an allergy immunologist. He's practicing up in Cleveland, Ohio. I had the fortune of having him as my pediatrics preceptor as well. So Dr. Hostoffer, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for taking some time to talk with me.
0: Thank you. No problem, Austin.
1: So, you know, a lot of what I wanted to cover in this episode and talk about was your work in research and how you came to develop this as a passion. But before we get into that too much, if you wouldn't mind just giving me a quick rundown of you are, where you're practicing, what you do in a day-to-day capacity.
0: Right. Uh, so, you know, I'm a allergist immunologist, as you, as you mentioned in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, you know, we have a relatively large practice. We have four partners. Uh, we run a uh, allergy immunology fellowship, ACGME approved osteopathic recognition, and we take three fellows a year. So uh, our days are fairly busy seeing patients and doing didactics throughout the day, Um I think that we have a very vibrant, uh, fellowship. And so most of our, you know, our passion in the, in the practice is teaching and, and research.
1: It's gotta be such a cool environment for you. I mean, having that, you know, the air of knowledge and wanting to teach and wanting to continue to push the envelope in terms of research and thinking about things critically, I'm sure that's kept you, you know, on your toes with your practice and and how you view medicine day to day is that fair to say
0: yeah you know I, I think my partner and i once said that um you know it's it's really important and you know for a physician prior to becoming a physician to spend time in a lab to spend time in lab do a little lab research and then and then once you've seen how the scientific method then and then you can utilize that in your practice and i think that in within your practice it keeps you young uh, it keeps um, it keeps you uh, your your it keeps you sharp. It's uh, you know every moment someone's asking you a question, and and how they should move forward. So it also focuses focuses your direction. Uh, it it moves you in in a, in a very uh, laser like motion uh, to advance knowledge and continue to advance knowledge.
1: So when you say work in a lab, I know your training up until this point, you did some lab work, some basic science work down in Alabama. Is that right?
0: Right. Um, yeah. So prior to uh, when I, I was a pediatric resident and, and we, I really didn't experience research, I, my, my first experience with research um, uh, in, in the residency was to write up an abstract. And, uh, and so that, that uh, really started the fire. It was a little light. And the guy was very, um, very you know, much of a mentor. He was very good. And I remember writing that abstract and presenting it in, uh, in Philadelphia. And that was that was just a, a big high for me and I, I loved it so um, you know I started looking at uh, immunology and uh, I, I applied uh, for a fellowship and the gentleman who uh, who called me called me at uh, in the uh, cafeteria and asked me if I wanted to come down and he said uh, I said sure and so uh, we that was the first step and he this was dr. Max Cooper and he discovered B cells so I ended up uh, my wife and I uh, my family, Went down to uh, Birmingham, Alabama, University of Alabama in Birmingham, uh, started up our um, started up the uh, research process. And uh, the the fellowship was primarily bench. Uh, it was three years. Um, there was uh, clinicals, uh, immunology clinics once a week, the rheumatology clinic once a week, probably most likely half days. But the majority of my time was uh, spent in in the lab. A lot of that was uh, you know was the scientific method. I mean, I think I struggled first with trying to figure out how to use a pipette. Uh, how to do, uh, you know, just simple dilutions and, uh, and uh, mixtures and things like that and uh, centrifuging. And then, uh, then it got to be more complicated items and, and those tools, how they fit into the research process. And then we ended up uh, defining Fc receptor for IGA and uh, we uh, defined it uh, on eosinophils, And then uh, later on in my when I graduated um, and I went to, to Case Western Reserve uh, and uh, was full time faculty there for about nine years. I continued that work looking at uh, the FC-alpha receptor on neutrophils and their activation and then uh, used that to look at cystic fibrosis, both in the uh, secretions and in the blood. And then then uh, I did go on to get a, an NIH grant, uh, which was a K-Award uh, of beginning scientists. And then that went for about nine years. And then I think that at, at, at some point, I, I really wanted to do more clinical work. And, and I think that wasn't available as, at the bench. and and what I really wanted to do before I got into bench was to be able to have an office that, uh, that people with uh, really rare diseases or unknown diseases would come in. I would, I would uh, try to uh, understand the disease or define the disease, get a better treatment for disease and ultimately report it. And so uh, that, uh, that when, once I left, I went into private practice, um, you know, after those nine years. And then I, I, it sort of came that, 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 that dream came. uh, So where, cases were coming, uh, and, uh, clinical studies were coming, uh, the fellowship started and then uh, it just, uh, it, it is what I, I always wanted to do.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, you kind of answered one of the questions I was going to follow up with is that, do you feel like that transferred from your, you know, time in the bench to your practice now, but it sounds like it was just a natural progression of things that, you know, you were drawn exactly. to.
0: It was, it moved. Yeah. It just, um, you know, you, I moved from, and that's why I think both myself and my partners, uh, you know, the other uh, faculty, you know, we, I think we really think that, you know, getting a stint in the lab helped us. And I mean, it goes way back, um, you know, when you go back into the, um, you know, 1900s, 1918, right, right before the pandemic, influenza pandemic, you know, th- this kind of uh, idea where physicians would get training, uh, you know, uh, classwork and bench work was just starting to come out, and it really popped up at John Hopkins, and it was uh, with the influence of European medical schools and European models that uh, there was a, a lab created for physicians to go in to do research, and then a diagnostic lab and a research lab, and that model then uh, took off throughout the United States, uh, where most medical schools have clinical laboratories and, um, and other things, and, diagnost- and reviews and diagnostic tests, and and what we really, really see medical uh, training is actually sprouted out from a Johns Hopkins. But I, I agree. Our partner and I agree that that really strengthened our uh, our basis uh, in, in clinical work.
1: And I can only imagine that because of that foundation, because of how you fell into this practice and in your day-to-day now, that lended itself to you identifying you know, there was a gap in research training specifically for osteopathic students and mm-hmm. your creation of this scholar program. I don't, you know, there's so many different pieces and parts and if you wouldn't mm-hmm. mind just kind of running through that, but I think it's important as a whole to recognize that you saw the deficit there and felt like you needed to address it. So can you talk through all the parts of the scholar program? I know they kind of address sure. different aspects, but um, just give me a, a a rundown of what yes. it all encompasses and what it is.
0: Well, you know, so I, I think what, where it all started was when I when I was uh, you know when I was a resident. So I I I was taught how to do something, and then I was taught how to write an abstract and to make a poster. Granted, they weren't very good at that time, but I I, I developed that skill set. And then uh, when I was in my uh, fellowship, you know, the, the writing of a scientific paper was quite different, and it, it was more more exact. The style was different, but there was a pattern behind it. There was a pattern to do it. So if you did it this way, that's the way it was accepted. That's the way the journals took it. That's the way everybody wanted it to be. So there was a pattern. And then, uh, and, then and I think that the, the next, when I got into, uh, you know, into my job, at, uh, uh, you know, I, I noticed that same way of the pattern of, of, of writing an abstract, writing a poster, writing a manuscript, submitting the manuscript, and then eventually giving an oral presentation. Uh, on that uh, seemed to be a, a skill set, just like the skill set when you wanted to be a doctor, you you learned how to put an IV in, do a spinal tap, and all those. These are skill sets that had to be done, and they have to be done the same way every time. And uh, that's when you put an IV in, you learn how to do it. That's how you do it every time. You know, learned how to do a spinal tap. That's how I did it. That's how I do it every time, because I know that's the way it's successful. Same way in in, in research is that it's done the same way every time, and uh, so. As, as I went through and I, you know, I started teaching a lot more and, um, and I, the residents, the PEDS residents, and I would take them under my, uh, my wing and, uh, we'd go to, we'd develop a poster. I'd show them how to do a poster, especially how to run through a meeting. And, uh, that seemed to be the, the, another, uh, set of skill. And then, uh, then when I came out to, um, private practice, um, and I developed the fellowship, uh, Dr. Michael Rowan, who is now the, the dean at uh, LECOM, was director, uh, education director uh, at, uh, at uh, university hospitals. And so he said to me, he said, you know, and this was way before ACGME, this was an osteopathic program, AOA program. And he said, you know, I, I, I need to develop something. We need to have some type of work, scholarly work for the, for the re- interns and residents to do. Uh, so Mike and I, so, well, maybe we'll have a course. Maybe we'll develop a, a short course, uh, teach them how to do it. So then, you know, in reviewing that skill set and that pattern that I, I had discovered ba- way back when I just started putting simple slides together. So I put a couple slides together and then, you know, I would sit down with them and then, you know, and, and run through stuff. And then, you know, and I, and, and I, I guess it was just sort of, here's how you do it. Uh, there was no, you know, actual demonstration or anything. We just talked to it. And then, I think one day, you know, and one year, uh, you know, they asked me to come up with something different, so I didn't know what to do. I mean, how do you teach someone to, to write, right? How do, you, how do you teach someone to think uh, think like this? And so um, my youngest son uh, always liked uh, this store called Five Blow. You know, everything is $5 and less. I would constantly go there, constantly go there, and he, he would want to go there after church and would stop and buy something for less than $5. Then I noticed, I looked at some of these things, and I go, well, you know, why couldn't you just put a, make an experiment out of that? So I bought a bunch of toys, and um, I, I brought them in, and I, I put them out, and I divided everybody up into groups and gave them these toys. So uh, this was an act of demystifying, trying to make people less scared, just giving them the toys, and then we ran through the uh, through the process of, of developing a hypothesis using the toys and writing specific aims using the toys and then creating this document out of a toy and then and let them play we let i let them play so there were you know there were these uh dark guns and there were the you know, hula hoops and things like that and so i got them to start doing it and then all of a sudden they started picking up in a number of uh and, if, and i and i would just sort of transpose it i would substitute a scientific method or scientific topic for that toy and, and all of a sudden, the, the writings and the abstracts started increasing in that institution. So I said, well, this makes sense. This is really good. So at, at about that time, uh, I think we were, there we were talk about the merge uh, merging uh, of AOA and ACGME and the panic of, uh, oh my gosh, what we, what we have to have scholarly work and research. Um, so uh, Mike and I, um, with a friend uh, uh, named Jerry, uh, he was a, a professional filmographer, uh, and um, we, we got groups together at Richmond, and we, did, we filmed it. We filmed the toys and uh, the demystification and the process afterwards. And um, then we, call, uh, we set it up into seven sets. So, you know, everyone dissected this part- particular part of a grant process or idea uh, process for, for research. So um, so that came out to about seven. So we called that Scholar 7. And so we placed that, uh, we started utilizing it, and I placed it uh, on the OOA, so the Ohio Osteopathic Associates website. And then also um, I was able to get the AOA to pick it up and then give CME uh, for it. And uh, it was memeing. It went through, everybody was talking about it, and uh, you know, hundreds of people every month would click on the Scholar 7 and use it. And then again, when, um, and when uh, ACGME came in, I was asked to do, uh, you know, sort of Scholar 7 uh, camps. So I would go out to a, to a medical school. Uh, I did one at LECOM and I went to OU and then went out uh, west of St. Louis and <clears throat> did these episodes. Then uh, once, once we got the data, you know, so it was, uh, you know, once you had everything set up and you did your research, everything sort of stopped and people were getting confused. So uh, we started looking at, a potential for uh, making uh, how do you present your data this is what an abstract looks like this is what a poster looks like this is what a manuscript looks like this is what an oral presentation looks like and we filmed those and since there were four we called them scholar four and and those memed again so those kept on moving and then um then there, there were you know so sometimes when, when acgme came in full-blown Uh, they wanted pubmed numbers so how do you get a pubmed number well you you have to publish and and so you you know if you look at what you do in a residency and you know if you have three years it's going to be hard every year to do a major publication on a research project while seeing clinical so so low-hanging fruit are case reports and these are easy ways of getting pubmed numbers it also is a good way um, i felt uh, of of giving everyone uh, a a first good experience uh, so if you give uh, an intern or a, uh, or a student or a resident a project and uh, they write it up and they finish and it gets dinged and it gets denied, it, it, it hurts. Uh, it, you don't want to do this anymore. Why would I put that much work? But if you give them a case report that takes two or three weeks to, where, uh, to write up and then they, they, they success, it gets successfully published, holy cow, their ego goes up, and they say, I can do this again. So then you can move them forward into maybe a little bit more difficult uh, project, maybe a a clinical study, you know, a a retrospective study, and then maybe a little later, a a prospective study. So if if you get to that, but again, it gives them that encouragement uh, rather than uh, the deflation.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it's probably similar to what you were describing earlier. You know, it's a lot easier to think of a question and write a story about The velocity of a dart coming out of a dart gun versus describing FC receptors on IgA and eosinophils and all these, you know, if you get too into the weeds, you lose sight of the process. And it's much more difficult to accomplish that versus, hey, here's a taste of what it could look like. If you enjoy this, now we can talk about how to make things a little bit more advanced or involved because you have an interest and are showing an interest.
0: Yeah. So it's, that's the process of substitution. So I mean, you, you show them something that's relatively uh, familiar and uh, that that can be demystified. And so that you, uh, something you can enjoy. And then you put in the real thing uh, you put in, you, you say, okay, well, here, do this. That's, and then it, and all of a sudden it clicks. They say, oh, well, that's, that's the same process, isn't it? So they move forward. As far as the fellowship goes, we've done the same thing. Uh, my, you know, my fellowship, We've used that process, a scholar seven four and, and specific. The case report would be scholar specific, and um, and I've used that uh, with all of them. And I, I think that a lot of times, you know, a student would come up or a resident uh, would say, "I would like to write a paper." I said, "Review the scholar," and then I, and then they tell me. They say when well, they give me the introduction, I say, "Well, give me the title page," and that's the first thing. So I want, you know, give it to me in order because that's how it makes sense. And so, um, so that that got out again. All these went onto the uh, OOA website, and all of a sudden, almost every um, you know college, especially college and other, wanted copies of this. So everybody, the American College of Osteopathic Pediatricians got it, uh, the AOA got it, the AAO got it, uh, the Internal Medicine Do- uh, College got it. So everybody wanted it. And then, uh, so what was key was that you know if the attendings were doing it, they got CME. And then what was other key was free it was absolutely free there was no cost to it because i knew if i would charge a dime to do it I, they, they wouldn't do it because there's no extra money in gme and so um so when you uh so it had to be for free and be for good of the profession but when i learned when i then learned that uh, you know we you know we thought i said well maybe this this is an osteopathic issue we just aren't we don't uh focus on research as much Clinical research, but then I was getting calls from the MD world uh, to do this for them too. And what I really learned was they don't know how to do it either. Uh, they had no idea. Uh, they had no way, way no, no idea. They, 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 they can learn quickly, just like we did. But uh, they had no idea, and there was no setup for that either. To demystify what they had, they started replicating it on on some of their GME sites. But it was it was horrid, horrid. It was just uh, long lectures that uh, were you know boring and, you know, and, and really y- you couldn't get interested. So, um, you know, I would bring the toys over to the allopathic school and over to, uh, you know, uh, university hospitals uh, to the family practice residents and uh, internal medicine residents um, and uh, teaching them how to do that, too. So that followed well. So the other thing uh, that came out of that. So the the, the um, I, I did a master's program at LeComs, so master's in medical education, because I didn't have enough. I had too much extra time, <laughs> and then I moved forward with that. And then my uh, my thesis was to develop a, an app, an app for um, uh, f- uh, that would make things, because what you saw, what I saw was that uh, this generation uh, liked that. They they liked to have some right in hand. They could uh, hit it and uh, find out everything they needed. So uh, I, I developed, I proposed this app, uh, uh, and that was my thesis. And then eventually I developed it, and then I had it produced. Um, and so uh, then we started utilizing it. We did, uh, the Scho- and, it's, and it's called Scholar 12 because there's 12 parts, because there's you know, 12 months in a year. So it was set to, uh, to, to uh, demonstrate a scholarly curriculum that could be placed into a fellowship or a residency and, and followed through. So you could actually you know, come out of it with a project or a paper uh, if you follow the directions so uh, each module it would be divided into learning objectives um you know reading assignments which uh, were, were on there so they were just clicking on reading assignments and then there were uh you know here's here's what you should do at, at this unit so this this one what is your what is your goal what's your hypothesis the developed hypothesis and there would be um, and then i would insert a scholar uh, scholars, a uh, seven or scholar four or scholar specific video into that and then also uh, I would put a YouTube, maybe a YouTube thing that I, I liked that could be usable. And there was a blog on there uh, so that you could communicate with other people. So the idea of Scholar 12 is to work within groups. So that within that group, uh, the blog would communicate within the group and uh, you would have a mentor that would walk you through that, that would look at it. And then at the end, there was an assessment uh, by the student and an assessment of the student. So assessment of the, the student's assessment of the program and then the the mentors' assessment of the students, so the they were capable of moving forward uh, and doing that. So uh, we we created that, and then um, and again it would be, it was free, and uh, it, all you have to do is I think it's clicked in uh, scholar12.org, and uh, it comes right up, um, and you just uh, send in your name, and it gets uh, you get a, a, and you put in your group name. And then so we ran a, a, a beta test uh, at OU uh, with about nine or six students, and uh, that, that came out. Uh, we made some improvements with that. Then we ran it through LECOM with a larger group and then found, you know, okay, there was more things we had to improve, and we did, and we made those changes. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden COVID hit, and then, uh, and then nobody could go to class. So here we are. We have this app that we could run. So uh, it was developed into a curriculum. At LeCom, where it was the I think it was the OPP Geriatrics uh, rotation uh, that utilized Scholar 12 to to, to develop a project, uh, rather than uh, a year, it was used in a month, and seemed to work out really well. And the projects that came out of that uh, that uh, were very nice and very well done, and uh, got some really good remarks on that. So, with all that being said, uh, we did publish an article on Scholar 7 on the Scholar series in the JOA. Um, and, uh, and, and discuss that. And then we're now collecting the data uh, that was built into Scholar 12 uh, to talk about, you know, the feedback, how it was used, how it worked, um, and, and uh, hopefully we can write an article. We've had, we've had several abstracts. Uh, we've uh, presented this at the AAO convocations, and we also presented at the ACGME uh, uh, um, educational conference. And then um, and then again, uh, we've continued to share it with, uh, with people. Uh, uh, it's available on uh, most of the colleges, but you know, if you go into your browser and you just put in Scholar 7, uh, the first thing that should come up on your browser is the OOA's website. So if you click on that, it's probably the best platform and you click on that and it's all there, it's all available. And then all they will ask you for is your name and who, uh, in, 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 whether you're a student a resident or a fellow and then they'll send you the entire product, and you can look at 7, 4, and specific, independent of, of the Scholar 12 app. And, of course, you just put in scholar12.org, and you'll pick it up right there. That's where we stopped with that. Uh, we then uh, looked at, you know, what, what can we do to help osteopathic training and help uh, people with osteopathic uh, uh, faculty development? There was, there was a dearth of, uh, of, uh, of activity uh, for uh, faculty to continue their OMM skills and do things like that. And so um, what we did was we thought, well, what, how can we do to improve it? So we created, um, you know, a basic uh, uh, film, and we called it Scholar Teacher. And it really starts from the very beginning, uh, you know, uh, on landmarks, both muscular and bony, and then uh, to diagnostic and then treatment. And uh, we developed that and uh, what we felt was what would be better for faculties to have little snippets. so maybe 15 minute lectures that they could run that they, they wouldn't have to you know you know take time on a busy schedule if they had a faculty uh, a faculty meeting they could throw one of these up for 15 minutes and, and have it done yeah So we completed that and put that out there and um, and uh, that's gotten a pretty good uh, you know, attraction, uh, and especially into med schools. Med schools have been using that uh, to, uh, to sort of uh, entice their faculty, uh, their clinical factor, faculty to, to continue osteopathic recognition. And then we did the second one, uh, what was a uh, cervical thoracic. Um, and again, the same, same process, same thing, and uh, with small snippets. And, um, and, um, and that seemed to work out as well. We put that, and so the, all those are available on the Ohio Osteopathic Association as well. So uh, it, that is, I think that's the compendium uh, of, of of the scholar series. Uh, we plan to move forward uh, probably after COVID's done uh, to do a scholar assessment. Uh, so uh, how to uh, how to easily uh, use assessments for uh, osteopathic skill sets yeah. uh, for for our recognition programs.
1: Yeah. So safe to say that this hasn't been much work at all to put together, right? Oh. Based on yeah. that. <laughs> <Very easy. laughs> You know, in in hearing you talk about that, it's it's so amazing that everything seems to flow one into the next. You know, it was such a logical step to say, okay, well, here's how you develop a project. Oh, and now here's how you present that project, or here's how to navigate the waters of how to submit to a journal, how to get everything to go forward. Then from there saying, okay, well, how do we make this you know, information usable on the go. So let's make an app so where people can listen to videos while they're driving to work or, you know, in the 15 minutes they have in between patients or on a lunch break, then moving forward into, well, how do we teach in those small sections? So like you were saying, you know, if there's a 15 minute spot in between, you know, faculty meetings, you can just throw this up on the screen and say, hey, here's something that we should be keeping in touch with and and keeping, you know, Mm -hmm. keeping up on. So, a lot of that, especially as it pertains to this podcast and creativity within medicine, it almost seems like you've been able to creatively problem solve ahead, anticipating some of the difficulties people might have with it or how best for people to get in front of this information.
0: I think you're right. I mean, I I think that was you know, way before ACGME broke, uh, you know, uh, where the merger was placed, uh, we were, we were already thinking, so how can we improve scholarly work? Yeah. And little, we, little did we know that, uh, when, when the ACGME, the new, uh, ACGME came out, mm-hmm. uh, their focus and their strength and their push was scholarly work. And so it was, it, it fit. Yeah. Um, and then, um, when when we noticed that recognition wasn't you know uh, that that people were having problems with recognition, we had already performed the scholar teacher. So there was a little bit before that, but then and then we didn't know we had no idea COVID was going to hit, and that scholar twelve would play a bigger part uh, in 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 training because medical schools were looking for what can we put in this month? You know, we can't send them to the hospital. Sure. we can't send them to the office. What do we put in that month? And so then let's teach them a skill set. And scholar twelve uh, fit right in there. So, yeah, I, I think it was uh, probably a little bit of uh, divine intervention, you know, uh, our intuition to move forward uh, and and to keep ahead of at least one step yeah. to have have things prepared before the thing before it actually happens.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I had talked with in a previous episode, um, Dr. Scott Kobner, he's a, a photographer, amazing emergency room physician, and we were talking about the fact that once you have mastered a discipline or a subject that you have a lot of freedom to operate creatively within that. So I would imagine because of your experience, because you've walked through the process of here's how to take a project from idea to, you know, um, to coming to fruition, that it allowed you the ability to think, okay, well, now how do I best explain this to other people? You know, do you feel like because you were familiar with the subject that it helped translate in these lectures and videos?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that when I look at it, um, you know, so, you know, I, I've never had that a bit of a complicated mind. I, I really break things down into small pieces. That's how I understand it. And then I, I, I think that that allowed me, if I, if I could then take that, what I was thinking, these small bits and put it into something, uh, I, I think I, 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 I thought that was a better way of teaching. Yeah. And if I could take it step by step, moving people through it, that um, that they may they probably would understand it better and, and I think yes you're you're right so if uh, you do it enough you can look you can note the intricacies of of the process and to explain that and then I think that um, in in any case demystify it and I think that was the goal of the whole scholar series is to demystify sure, um, sure. you know any any you know preconceptions uh, of of what research is what what uh, OMM is and and that things are Aren't as um, as difficult as they seem. So,
1: you kind of had answered this, and I might. I'm curious to see what you would say, COVID notwithstanding, because that seems like the exception to how this has been integrated. It provided the opportunity to integrate in very easily. Have there been other surprises to come out of your work in this? Have things come up that? you thought wow i never really pictured it going to that place or for it to have that impact were there moments outside of you know the covid integration that have surprised you since this has been yeah, in play yeah.
0: I I, I, w- I was surprised with how well how how it meant. I mean, I literally used that word. I, I really thought it would be used locally, maybe uh, maybe in a couple places. Yeah. And I really didn't think that um, it would get that way. But it, and 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 really what really surprised me is I, I did very little advertising. I did no advertisement. There was no advertisement. Then all of a sudden, it's all over the country, and uh, people are picking up. They're calling me and asking me if we could use it. So that was more of a surprise. That people picked it up and and used it, and um, and I, and I think that uh, that that was probably the the biggest thing. Um, it, you know, again, like you said, the COVID, when the COVID came in, the surprise to be able to have this availability that it can u- be utilized there. Um, you know, so I I I am surprised uh, with uh, with the utilization and how far it went without without any advertisement. And, and, and clearly, you know, I, I I look at look at this as uh, as a, a millennial force. I mean, the millennials, uh, you know, took this forward and moved this forward um, more than I um, I did when they they they, they started seeing it. And then it was just sort of social, uh, you know, social media, but a little bit more of other, uh, uh, more of their texting and more of their, um, you know, uh, things like that. So, I, I was um, I was very surprised with that. Yeah,
1: and. In your talking, I know you had mentioned scholar assessment being something mm. on the horizon. Do you feel like there are other areas that you hope to expand the program to encompass? I mean, it feels like you're touching a lot of the basics, especially when it comes to osteopathic education. Um, mm. And for the listeners that aren't super familiar with osteopathic work, um, there is a, a, an additional arm that comes to understanding you know, the physiology of the body and how it integrates and how we're able to help. Um, you know, a- address some dysfunctions to help people feel better, um, just as a quick overview of what osteopathic, you know, treatment can, can, is encompassed by, but outside of that assessment piece, are there other aspects of the scholar program that you envision it helping to, um, helping to address?
0: right uh, you know so uh, i i think that there, there's going to be a continuation of the scholar teacher so we'll be moving forward with other parts of the scholar teacher yeah um and and i think that um, we stopped scholar teacher because we thought you know we had enough you know there was you know more than a year's uh probably two years worth of of of, of, of uh, faculty development so more than enough so we stopped that and that's why we wanted to progress to the assessment. Uh, assessment, uh, but we will come back to the uh, scholar, uh, scholar teacher, um, and to expand that. Great. I, I think Great. the other uh, part is that we're going to be doing a little bit stronger work on IRB. Uh, you know, so we'll be looking at uh, doing uh, simplifying our IRB for people. Uh, that was. It's a little bit. It's glazed over a little bit more. Less. Less than I'd like. And, and the other the other thing that I wanted to mention is that um, that we're going to be pushing too. We also developed a journal. So uh, the journal is called Scholar Complete. And uh, what ended up happening was that you when you when you do research, if you do small, you know, like like a lot of research, a lot of programs, you may have an n of twenty, and maybe not, you know, not enough, but maybe enough to be, you know, a pilot study. And uh, and a lot of journals will not take pilot studies or validation studies. But that tends to be uh, what's produced in smaller residencies and, and, and that type of thing. So uh, we developed Scholar Complete. So if you can type in Scholar Complete on your browser, you'll find it. Uh, it's an online journal. Uh, we've had two pu- uh, publications uh, so far. And, um, and, and it's uh, uh, open access. Uh, it doesn't cost anything to get in. Um, and it's a nice review. We're working on PubMed, being, uh, be- being put on PubMed. But um, that's probably what we're going to probably be enhancing in the near future is making it is trying to uh, expand that. What we wanted to do uh, was uh, to make an access a place where students and residents um, and young faculty could put things in, get get practice. It's a more, more of a practice. And the guys that were reviewing the articles would be more of a mentor. Yeah. Uh, you know, we would help you uh, move your project and then all the scholars uh, scholar series is, are, are present on that on that website so you uh, on that um, uh, uh, that uh, journal so if you look at the uh, the uh, title page or the first page of uh, scholar complete uh, there are a set of steps and there's a, there's a, somebody on the top step and he's leaning down and grabbing the hand of someone that's at the bottom step and and pulling them so pulling them forward right and th- that's sort of our motto for uh, for that and each step uh, really uh, you know you know sort of uses the motto that we've always used and it was uh, the mo- our you know what we uh, use to outline our- ourselves is courage uh, humility intensity and consistency and those are th- that's what the motto is for our our pri- our our, um, our fellowship and that uh, that was the model uh, model we picked up for the scholar complete, so uh, we'll be moving in that general direction. I think we'll be looking at um, probably also developing more CME tracks um, for you know through scholar the scholar series. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably uh, be looking at um, other components uh, of a program uh, training programs to, to enhance OMM skill sets. Oh yes, and there was another one. We're going we're going to put up another one. Uh, in the near future, on how to develop a um, uh, osteopathic uh, curriculum. Mm. Uh, so, how do you how do you develop a curriculum for uh, for a program that's an meet? Yeah,
1: you know, I I can't imagine you could find a better image or um, depiction of what the journal would hope to accomplish, other than you know helping others navigate that process. So, do you feel like it's been eye opening to be on that side of Research, you know, seeing the journal aspect of it, did that? I think so. Open your eyes to any other aspect of research work.
0: I I, I think one is that you know, um, I, I I do, and I I you know you, you know, I think that this one has to look at it as um, um, the beginning, and maybe the beginning of someone's career. Maybe someone's beginning uh, working with like a clay, working with their clay,
1: yeah.
0: and um, I, I can see you can see that, um, and I think that a lot of journals don't see that. A lot of journals will just say, oh, no, nope, you're done. We don't want that." But you can see that someone's trying, and you can put that together and help them. Um, I, I think that's that's what I see from that from that end. Uh, but really, I, 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 uh, the journal was there for their advancement. Uh, to to make sure that um, that they don't get frustrated and quit.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure in a lot of ways it could remind you of when you were at that step. You know when you were just starting out writing your first case or or working on those things, it seemed very daunting at the time.
0: Yeah, it was it's like phylogeny, right? Yeah. So phylogeny is a the movement forward. you You really go forward, never go back, right? So you you go from a single cell organism, a multi a multicellular organism. You never go back. Sure, <clears throat> but you know. So I, I think it's it's the development, it's the movement forward. It might be even you might even talk about it ontogeny. Maybe the development from a from a from a, a single cell to a fetus to a human or to a full uh, full grown human. Uh, so um, you know, I, I think that that really, if I left a legacy, that that's I would want to see the legacy of growth, and uh, that there would be people out there that would continue mentoring and uh, moving and helping people move forward, because that's all it is. That's all it's about, right? There's, you know, at the end of the day, material things aren't worth anything, but if you look out and you see that, you know, there are groups of people that continue. If I can, I'd tell you a little story, Um, you know, how, how I felt about this mentoring. I, um, I was in the rainbow emergency room and I I was, I was the attending and, um, and then a, a resident came up to me, and uh, said to me, It was first you raised, he says, you know, you know, uh, Doc, I said, I, I can't get these spinal taps. Every time I do this, it's always bloody. I, I can't, I can't seem to. He's very frustrated. So I said, next time you get the tap, come and get me. So I said uh, so he, he came and got me. So I said, so you take this hand, you take your left hand and you put your fingers on on, on the iliac crest, and then you drop your thumb down to the to the lumbar uh, to the lumbar vertebrae, and you put your thumb right on that tip, and then you take your needle. And then you uh, you uh, bisect the, your, your thumb, you go right in front of your thumb, right in half of your thumb and go straight in. And then until you hear a little pop and pull the needle, pull the stylet out. That's exactly how I showed him. And then he did the next one, it was gold. It was, uh, he had uh, no blood. So, you know, maybe about four years later, I'm still in that same position. And I, and, I, and this guy, he's graduated, he's an attending now, right? And, and so he was a, a first year resident, now he's an attending. And I was sitting there finishing some notes, and I, out of the corner of my eye, I see him teaching another student or another resident who had that sort of forlorn look, that, you know, failure that couldn't get it. And I could see uh, see this one I taught take his hands and just do the same thing my hands did and and did that. And I looked at it, I said, holy cow, you know, there it is. You know, that's this sort of passing on uh, of, of, of the knowledge, of passing on of of, of procedures or passing on of, of a, uh, of a pattern.
1: What an aha moment that must have been to see that. Yeah. And, and I'm sure not only were you watching the technique when that resident was also teaching, but also the confidence with which he had to say, Hey, you know, I've, I've got this and yeah. this is how to give it to you now. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: That's great. You, the other, the other thing that came up, another story, is that you know I I, I was mentoring a a, a young uh, young medical student, you know, going through the scholar system and everything, and she was writing and writing and, and 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 really being very successful about it, very successful, but very you know focused on how it was done, the pattern. And I can remember I was sitting down with the fellows, and and she was there too, and I was saying, okay, so we're going to do this thing, and I I said, well, we're going to move this way, this way, and she goes, she looked at me, she goes, Dr. Hostoffer, that's not how you do it. You have to do it this way. And she or she was teaching it back to me that, that, you know, I had skipped the step and I had moved forward too quickly. That was the way it had to be done. And she reminded me of that.
1: Wow. How cool. You know, before I let you go, the the last question that I had for you has to do with case reports. And you've brought up that idea a few times, and it's something that I know you Definitely enjoy mentoring folks through. And for those listening at home, you know, case reports, as a quick summary, are essentially reviewing a unique presentation of a case or something that hasn't previously been described or discovered within, you know, either one person or a very small sub- subset of folks. Um, has that idea or that type of research always interested in you or what what draws you to Case reports as a whole, and then I guess more narrowly, what in your mind makes for a good case? You know, what are some or some eye-opening moments to say, "Wow, this is something I really should look into or write
0: up." The first thing is that why why that case reports, uh, uh, you know, I like them so much is because. They're typically two variables and when you when you talk about a hypothesis you set up a hypothesis by looking at two variables and i, I i'm very simple you have too many variables you know independent independent variables it uh you know i i i, I don't you have to be singular and so a case report is singular it's a, a it's a disease an outcome a new presentation uh, that's not in the literature so it's either in this kind of case it's either uh, a hole in the literature or something at the end of the literature that extends the literature so you're looking for that kind of placement in these kind of case reports and 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 what's unique about them is they they're very um, uh, you know once you've written them up they're very they're they're very meaningful at the time in your clinic uh, so you you have shown and you can you can run you 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 you've seen it you've done it and this was successful again it started of something new another pattern and uh, and I think those and they get referenced quite often uh, for wh- whatever reason. We we wrote up the first COVID patient with immunodeficiency and published that, and over two hundred uh, reads in the first month uh, of people looking at it. So wow. I, I think at some some point, you know, some of the greatest um, descriptions have been case reports. So uh, you know, Sir William Osler, uh, first case report was on HAE. He wrote it in, in in a case report. That was a case report, and then he discovered HAE. Everybody sta- stands on that. So uh, I, I think that, that people think of it as low-lying fruit, but it can be a start of a career.
1: Yeah,
0: You know, if you write a case report on the first uh, immunodeficiency patient with COVID, and then you write another case series on uh, COVID and immunodeficiency in the second wave, and all of a sudden people are calling you saying, well, you you wrote that, so I'm going to reference you in my textbook, or I want you to come and give a talk because you're the only one that's done it. Sure, uh, sure so you you have that uh, potential of really developing a career with a case report that really takes you may- maybe 2 weeks 3 weeks at most to write up and why not
1: so for those listening at home i know you've mentioned a few times throughout the podcast but all kind of at the end and i'll also include this in the description the websites to reach the Scholar Series to be able to have access to some of this information, you said scholar12.org yes. is one of them, right? Are there other places that folks should go for some of this information? And then the journal as well, if, if folks wanted yeah. to read what's been written in the journal.
0: Yeah, so uh, for the journal, Scholar uh, scholarcomplete.com. And then you uh, okay. then the other places that uh, you just type in Scholar 7 into your browser. okay, And then the first thing that comes up is uh, Ohio Osteopathic Association. Click on that and it'll take you right to the Scholar series and every everything you ever needed to know about Scholar.
1: Great. I would imagine there's quite a few folks that are going to listen that will want to, you know, hear some information, learn a little bit more and, and hopefully embark on that journey as well. So yes. with that, I wanted to say thank you so much for taking some time to to come chat with me. This has been really great. I it's so nice hearing the the why behind the effort and the reasoning and, and the the process for how everything came to develop. So you know, I really appreciate you you taking some time to to chat.
0: Well, thanks for inviting me. I I really enjoyed it, and I I hope people out there really take advantage of this. This is um, this is how you start it. Uh, you know, just by planting the seed, and being successful once, you'll be you'll be successful again.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say is it that seems like some good advice to end on. Are there any other pearls that you might have for someone who's you know just getting their feet wet into this?
0: Yeah, don't stop. Keep going. Don't stop. That's amazing.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you again. This was really, really wonderful and and informative, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Austin. All right, that wraps up another episode of The Medical Creative. I wanted to say a huge thank you to Dr. Hostoffer for taking some time to speak with me. I really hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode. I got a ton out of talking to him. Again, if you have any questions or concerns, want to reach out to me, you can contact me through my website, themedicalcreative.com. There's also links to all the previous episodes and some other ways to interact as well. Hope that you enjoy the episode. Hope that you have a great day. Take care.